When Emma was 13, she had a lot of questions. So she wrote them down in her diary. Here is what I wish I knew. Where is Michael? How old is Michael? Does Michael even know who I am? (laughs) Does Michael have a crush on me? Who will I marry? How can I please Sarah at choir next year without really changing me too much? (laughs) How much time do I have left with my grandparents and great-grandparents? Will we ever move away from here? Will I ever stop being afraid? Did Stephen Gallagher really forgive me? (laughs) Am I abnormally boy crazy? Am I fat? Should I have not quit ballet? What should I choose as my career? If I died right now, would I go to heaven? Am I smart? How can I be less (laughs) self-centered? That's Emma reading from her teenage diary. I'm Dan Meisner, and this... This is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. How are you doing? That is what I like to hear. It is so nice to see you. This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live in Ottawa, we have a first kiss, obsession with the X-Files, a poem about picking your nose, and much more. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and like Emma's diary, a lot of it is full of uncertainty. So think about who you were when you were a kid and stick around. Part of growing up means figuring out your limits, especially when it comes to romance. It's important to understand who you want to spend time with, what you're ready to do, and what you'd rather wait for. Our next reader, Caitlin, shared a diary entry she wrote when she was 13, at a time in her life when she was still grappling with all of these questions. And she told me she wrote this entry. Two weeks after she had her very first kiss, please welcome her to our stage. I don't know if this feels right anymore. It sure doesn't feel right. Maybe I'm just playing the victim. That's probably it. But it all feels like it's moving too fast. We kissed again today. A lot. It seems like things are getting heavy. I think he was even starting to add tongue. And I asked him about it afterwards, like I mean after I stopped him. And he said he was all just working on impulse. So I'm afraid now. (laughs) I know that I know when to stop. I can kind of tell when it all feels like impulse and I know where too far is. I know what I don't want. I don't want to have a baby or get a disease (laughs) or have sex. I don't want sex. Sex isn't bad, but it's not right. Not right now, at least. Maybe after we graduate, if we're still a couple. I think if we last that long, he deserves a reward, right? (laughs) But on the other hand, he's a guy, and he's so much older and stronger than me, and I don't want to disappoint him. It's a status thing. In my mind, I know what's right, but in my head, I keep telling myself that you've liked this guy since last year. You can't let this end. No matter what, I think I'm always going to tell myself that I like him, even if I don't. (laughs) That doesn't mean I don't like him. 
I just don't know anymore. <laughs> He's kind of a goofball, but in a good way, because it's silly and fun. It's a lot more fun than hanging out and acting all mature, and a lot more fun than putting on an act. He's, I don't know, less cute up close? <laughs> but he's a lot more handsome. Maybe this isn't love at all. Maybe it's just an experiment. One big, long, painful, adolescent experiment. Logically, there shouldn't be anything wrong with kissing. A, a lot of kissing. An awful lot of kissing with tongue. But logic has nothing to do with this. Maybe logic should have something to do with this. Before all of this, logic was what I lived by, and it had worked. It worked pretty well. So logically, kids shouldn't be allowed to date because their hormones are still in full throttle. And logically, I'm still a kid. Logically, if I'm having these thoughts, there's a problem. So logically, the problem should be identified and dealt with in an orderly manner. Logically, if the problem cannot be identified clearly and quickly, then there is no problem, is there? <laughs> you know what's weird, though? I think I kind of like kissing. It does make a girl feel special and wanted. But even weirder than, than that, something that's way weirder than that, after we kiss, the skin above my lips feel all dry and stuff. <laughs> I think maybe it's because we're doing something wrong. <laughs> it kind of feels sometimes like he's eating my face. <laughs> Which makes sense when you think about it, because that's the way they do it on television. It's like they're eating each other. But that's kind of weird to think about. Do we look like the people on TV? Are we that intense? Somehow, I hope not, but somehow I hope so. <laughs> it's weird. Before all of this, I had two really distinct parts of me. The romantic, who wanted flowers and chocolate and stroking and cuddling. And then there was, well, I'd rather not say. <laughs> you know what I'm thinking. Now it's like neither of these parts exist. Like they were never part of me at all. They were just fronts and facades. They were a small part of me that seems so much bigger now that that's all that I am. Thank you. Poetry is always popular at grown-ups read things they've heard as kids, and when our next reader, Todd, was in high school, he wrote a lot of poetry. Some of it deep, some of it meaningful, and some of it just plain strange. Live on stage in Ottawa, here's Todd reading poems that cover what can only be described as a wide range of emotions. Well, my first poem is called Alone. 
I have this belief that we won't admit we are alone. We fear the thoughts of others. We fall victim to our insecurities. These fears that dominate like earth bury us beneath the false face portraits we have framed. Knowing these fears, I am able to be free, to begin to learn and accept loneliness as my friend, not enemy. Now, an ode to a caramel bar. <laughs> oh, caramel bar, how I love thee. Your simple construction, a delicacy. Your savory flavor arouses my taste. To obtain you, I quicken my pace. Your dynamic creation without any flaw, not a single sign of forced entry, now I am in awe. For what is the secret? What is the clue in inserting that caramel and making you, you? It. Something invades my heart, stealthily stalking my happiness. It preys upon my sanity. I begin to feel obsolete, unnecessary. It closes in, surrounding, slithering, coldly circling my warmth. Reminding me it taunts of years gone past. It cries the feelings fears. It wraps itself around me and it chokes. It brings about questions it is silent without an answer. Questions never to be surrendered. Up the stairs and towards my bed, it encloses my confinement. It attacks my sanity. And in the dark, silence holds my vigilance. <laughs> now to finish off, an ode to a nose picker. Oh, stoplight so red, how I love thee. A moment to rest, a nose picker's glee. For where else can you pick it? Where else can you play? With your big honker to make a great day. Women appall it, for it is quite rude. To dig in in public for a brief interlude. Why does it happen? I'm not really sure, but it happens to everyone, because it's human nature. Thank you. <laughs> From the sublime to the ridiculous, back to the sublime, back to the ridiculous. That was Sometimes kids and parents fight. In fact, one of the most common themes we hear on stage is this tension and struggle between parents and kids. When our next reader, Catherine, was growing up, she would sometimes feel angry at her mother. 
And anytime she felt that way, when Catherine felt mad or frustrated or like she wasn't being treated fairly, she would write a letter to her mom. Now, Catherine never actually gave these letters to her mother. She just wrote them as a way to deal with her feelings. But at our Ottawa show, we got to hear one. Here's Catherine reading a letter she wrote but never gave to her mom from when she was 11 or 12. Dear Mom, if I ever try to talk to you about any problems, even little ones, you say, you talk too much. Don't you ever shut up? I'm busy. I'm trying to talk to your dad. Your father just got home and I just got home. We'd like to talk until we both have to leave again. You aren't ever allowed to talk to me. In fact, if I ever try to talk about anything, that is your response. You don't care for me very much, do you? It hurts that you don't want me. I love you. I wish that you could show some understanding. You spend your time at home this way. With dad, 35% of the time. With Mark, 6% of the time. With me, 4% of the time. With friends or doing housework and other, 55%. (laughs) Not much time with me, 4%. I know you will now kill me, 0% of the time. After that, but I want you to know how I feel. And so I said before, 4% isn't enough time to tell you everything. Someday you'll look up and you won't know me at all. You don't know me enough now. Lauren, Ashley, Andrea, Jessica, and their former and present boyfriends and friends too probably know more than you. Who do I like? In order of how much I like them. What do I want to be? Why? How many book reports, novel studies, stories, poems, posters, etc. have I handed in since September? How many did you see? What are my secret wishes and dreams? What do I dream about at night? Do I feel comfortable enough with you to tell you these things? How many do you care about? None? One? Three? All school-related questions? How many can you answer correctly? What does that tell you? Think about it. Love, K. Ross. Our next reader, Noran, grew up in Cairo, and when she was in sixth grade, the teacher gave the class an assignment. Everybody had to imagine that a new president had imposed ridiculous restrictions on Muslims in Egypt, and then they had to write about a day in their lives. We are going to hear that piece right now. Please welcome Noran to our stage. (laughs) 
Um, so this was um, a piece that asked us to imagine this. A new president in Egypt has made these new rules. Muslims cannot ride buses, taxis, or the train. They must give away their bikes. Muslims may not go to the movies, theaters, or sporting events. Um, they must be home by 8 p.m. Muslim teachers are fired. And business owners were forced to write Muslim on their store windows so that non-Muslims will not want to shop there. How would all of this make you feel? Um, in my voice as a 10-year-old. Well, I pretty much think that all I'm going to do mostly is dream. I dream of being free to do what I want, how it would feel to not be called a traitor just because you're Muslim. Each time before I'd go to sleep, I'd cry. I'd cry because of the unfairness, the madness inside me. I'd think of a way to end this tragedy. Each morning I'd dress up and go walking the 12 blocks to my store since they took away my bike. Since the new president moved in, I had never seen a person that was not Muslim enter my store. At 6.30, I'd close my store and go buy the groceries. I'd be home at about 7.45 p.m. right before the curfew. One day, I dreamed of fixing this madness. I've always dreamed about it, but this time I thought about doing it. The next morning, I went over to some of my friends and, and told them to help me. Help me end this unfairness. They said it's impossible because we're not strong enough to face a whole country. Tears came out of my eyes. My throat got stuck. I went home with tears tearing outside and tears tearing inside. I went home, laid on my bed, and dreamed like always. But still I knew that all those dreams won't make a difference. Still, until this day, I know I wish I could end this tragedy. Thank you. Um, it was written on January 29th, 2001. And um, this was um, a time when we were seeing a lot of misrepresentation of Islam in the media. I wasn't sure if I uh, wanted to share this piece or another piece that was a lot more silly and creative and had very different tone, but I chose this one because it had a very strong message, um, but also a very timely one, but mostly because I think it was the one I felt most vulnerable sharing. I think that it takes a really kind of sad and um, very politicized topic and it turns it into a very beautiful message um, that's about the power of dreaming and pursuing our dreams and doing what's right. Um, reading it out loud it was really interesting because it, it felt like it's something I would I would say today and not just um, 18 years ago
In the room tonight, do we have any fans of the long-running television program, The X-Files? Okay. When Melanie was 12 and 13, she maintained an X-Files-themed website. (laughs) We're going to hear some excerpts, including an episode review of The X-Files. And before we hear from Melanie, I need to fill you in on a little bit of terminology. We need some definitions here. So does anybody in the room know what a no-romo is? Okay, so in fan fiction, no-romos were the people who were vehemently opposed to Mulder and Scully getting into a relationship. So no Romo as in no romance. And the opposite of a no Romo, somebody who was really into the idea of Mulder and Scully getting together, those people were called shippers. Do I have that right? Melanie, ladies and gentlemen, reading X-Files websites. Hi, my name is Melanie, and my life revolves around the X-Files. I know what you're thinking. Pretty sad life, huh? Actually, it's anything but. (laughs) Winky emoji. I'm sure that everyone's seen many Mulder, Scully, Gillian Anderson, or David Duchovny shrines, but I try to include everything on this website. It's dedicated to all aspects of the greatest show on earth. No Romos beware, though. This site's pretty shippy, and I like it that way. (laughs) This site's updated almost daily, so check back frequently. Sit back, relax, and explore my insane world of the X-Files. Last updated, November 24th, 1999. (laughs) Top stories, 42-point font. Oh, my God! Mulder and Scully's first real kiss, as in they're both sober, uninfected, and themselves, finally, (laughs) will reportedly take place on November 28th. No word yet on what it will lead to. (laughs) November 24th. The picture is out there. In Canada, that's my country. Thank God. The National Post newspaper smothered its front page and the art section with pictures of Mulder and Scully's first kiss. To see the picture that I scanned from the front page, click on this link. (laughs) November 9th. Now that season seven is here, I have started my reviews. Go here to see what I thought of the season premiere. The Sixth Extinction, episode one, season seven. My review as also posted on Space's X-Files message board, which is where I live. I love giving my opinion on these things, so whether you like it or not, here goes my 10-point review. Point number one, Scully loves Mulder. I enjoy the fact that when she was in Africa, Scully wrote all of her field notes to Mulder, describing how his illness is swallowing his beautiful mind. She's so deep. It really makes me think that she didn't throw out her journal from Memento Mori and has been writing in it ever since. Point number two. Scully rocks. Do you see how she handled that machete or how expertly she bludgeoned Barnes with that chair? Very skillful. She's so resourceful. And while we're on it, she looked amazing. Hair up, glasses on, tight white tank top with her bra slightly showing. In the words of Frohickey, she's hot. Point number three, Skinner's not so bad. 
Hey, so we all thought Skin Man was pretty damn evil for betraying M&S, but turns out he's just being blackmailed by that gorgeous Alex Krychek. I mean, I'd do something for the guy if he was threatening me with my life. Then again, I'd do anything for Krychek, even if I wasn't being threatened. Hee hee hee. Point number four, where is Krychek? Speaking of our lovely Alex, where's he off to? Ten bucks says he stole the spaceship. Point number five, Mulder plus hospital equals good looking. Since when has Mulder not looked good when he was lying in a hospital bed? Can you honestly say he looked horrible even though he was almost dead? It's that vulnerability thing, I swear. Point number six, Mulder makes laptop music? Who would have thought Mulder would become psychic? I didn't, and I usually think a lot about these things. Well, I'm glad because now Mulder knows that Fowley's just an evil, lying scumbag and that Scully's the one who truly loves him despite what Fowley says. Besides, who's the one who's actually working to save Mulder's life? Scully. Point number seven. Speaking of that Fowley thing, I refuse to call Fowley a woman because contrary to popular belief, no women could be that evil. There's nothing I could say about Fowley that wouldn't include an extreme amount of swearing, so to put it as nicely as possible, Fowley, you are a wretched, wretched thing, and I hope you die and burn in hell. (laughs) And I'm not just saying that because I'm a shipper. (laughs) Point number eight, expensive is good. The X-Files is the most expensively made television program on television, with a price tag of approximately $2 million per episode. This episode shows that. The special effects with the sea of blood was beautiful and probably one of the better effects showed on the show. The best had to be the spaceship in the movie, but they had a huge budget for that. Point number nine, Kim Manners is possibly one of the best directors. Enough said. He has directed some of the best episodes with such beauty and technique. And you have to remember, you don't have as much time to direct a television episode as you do with a movie. Good job. (laughs) Finally, point number 10. The Sixth Extinction was a wonderful episode from start to finish. I can't wait for Sixth Extinction 2 and more fatty next week. If this is what the season seven mythology episodes are going to be like, bring on the season. Thank you. Right now, Francis is going to share a few journal entries from the diary she kept when she was between the ages of 9 and 11. And what you need to know is that at the time, Francis's family was going through a fair amount of turmoil. It was a rocky time for the family, but most of Francis's entries aren't about the turmoil at all. They're about somebody named Chuck. Please welcome Francis to our stage. Okay, December 4th, 1996. Dear Diary, I have to tell you this because I can't trust my friends with this. 
I love Chuck. <laughs> December 5th, 1996. Today Chuck was so nice to me. December 9th, 1996. <laughs> Sorry I didn't write the last three days, but I never got to it. <clears throat> I don't have much to write because that is it. Bye. <clears throat> December 22nd, 1996. I really sorry I missed lots of days, but I've been in Mexico. <laughs> January 5th, 1997. <laughs> uh, dear diary, I finally found the time and pencil to write. <laughs> but I'm still in Mexico. <laughs> I miss my friends so much. <laughs> February 15th, 1997. Dear diary, I'm so sad. My parents are separate. <laughs> My mom is lesbian. <laughs> I don't know what is going to happen. I'm back from Mexico. <laughs> Dear Diary, you'll never guess what I found out about Dylan. She loves Kaylin, Brendan, and Duncan in that odor. Uh, February 5th. Dear Diary, I've been meaning to say this for a long time. I think Chuck is a bitch. Uh, March 11th. First of all, Chuck likes me. <laughs> At a sleepover, I said I loved Bradley, a new boy, but I don't know why, what I was thinking. I guess I just wanted a secret to tell. My sister got cancer. <laughs> I fell bad, but not as bad as I should. I don't know what to do. Let's see, what else? Hmm. <laughs> We're going to my sister's tonight for dinner, so I've got to go get ready. Franny. <laughs> Thanks. Francis, I mean this in the kindest possible way. Your priorities were way out of whack. That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live at the Gladstone Theater in Ottawa and produced by Jenna Meisner. Olivia Nashmi is our associate producer, and our music is by Poddington Bear and Lullatone. Our closing theme is Oh Dear Diary by Sloan. Now that you've heard Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids, why not watch too? Just search for Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids on Facebook then like our page. That way, our daily videos will show up in your feed. Again, 
Just search for Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids on Facebook and like our page. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening. Just one big, long, painful adolescent experiment.